0: Executive engagement is one of the most vital pieces for us in in terms of our marketing strategy. If you look at us as a business, when you take one level down and see inside these organizations, there are potentially five or six people in each one of these companies who have a massive role in terms of the buying decision. So if you multiply those numbers, there are potentially about 6,000 people who decide whether we make our $22 billion a year, do we double it and become the industry leader, or does it curtail and go down? So building trust, building relationships with these 6,000 people is absolutely vital.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Rob Levitt, and this is C-Suite Marketing. Today's episode is a conversation with Abhinav Kumar, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for Global Markets at Tata Consultancy Services. Abhinav joined TCS in the early 2000s when marketing barely existed and has since helped build one of the most valuable brands in the technology sector with almost 500,000 employees and $22 billion in annual revenue. We covered a lot of ground in the discussion, including the evolution of the TCS brand, the importance of building relationships and reputation in the C-suite with top customers, the power of storytelling, the role that the tech industry has played through the pandemic, and lessons learned from 2020 about digital transformation and the growing social responsibilities for global companies like TCS. C-suite marketing is sponsored by Boardroom Insiders, a business intelligence platform that makes executive engagement easier than ever. Learn more at boardroominsiders.com. And learn more about this podcast and all the work we do on executive engagement, ABM, and other B2B marketing issues at ITSMA.com. And please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And now for today's show. Abhinav, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Rob. It's such a pleasure to be here at this with you. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conversation.
1: Let's start by talking about TCS because it's been such an incredible success story. And you've been there for years. Mm-hmm. So catch us up.
0: Yeah, we might need uh, something longer than a podcast for that. But let me do the short uh, short version of it, Rob. So, TCS has been in an interesting place. For those who don't know the company, it's, it's one of the largest technology companies in the world. Just a couple of years ago, we celebrated our 50th year anniversary. The company was founded in 1968. I've had the pleasure to work here for, this is going to be my um, 20th year in the company. I've had the pleasure of playing a variety of roles in different places and watching the growth journey of the company. When I joined the company back in 2002, it was by then already a fairly large company. We had about 14,000 employees or so, and we were about a billion dollars in revenues. Two decades hence. We uh, now have 488,000 employees. So um, my STEM skills don't desert me. That's about, what is it, 19-fold growth in two decades. And we just closed our earnings last week. So so in terms of revenues, we're clocking about $22 billion uh, a year. Very global company. We have operations in 46 countries across the world. And we have about 150 different nationalities working for us. I think like a lot of other members in ITSMA, we work with everything across technology. From managing infrastructure to people to defining their strategy on the whole digital transformation side to actually building and implementing their applications or or especially their future digital strategy, whether it's artificial intelligence or the IoT or cloud or data analytics, essentially helping large and medium sized businesses run themselves better.
1: As the company has grown, you've not only built the brand, but you've really elevated the perception of what TCS is and and what you can do. And and I know you've been in the middle of that for many years. Talk about the evolution of the brand as it is perceived by your clients.
0: It's been absolutely a very rewarding journey. If if I take you back to when I joined the company in, in 2002, TCS was a very quiet and a privately held company. It was 100% subsidiary of Tata Sons, the promoter company. And at that point of time, we didn't even have a formal marketing department. We had a small communications department whose uh, primary job was to take out the company newsletter, essentially cover the picnics and any kind of creative art and other things which employees wanted to share. So so very humble beginnings. A big point of inflection for us was the year 2004. 2004 was when the company went in its for its uh, IPO. It's Along with going public, uh, a lot of things changed for, for, for the company, right? We had to be have a stronger public profile. There were many regulatory requirements of us. And that's when we formally instituted a marketing department. Of course, we did marketing before that, but it used to be imbibed in what, what the business did. As a very technology-oriented business, TCS has been built very, very in a very focused way through our customers. So traditionally, when you looked at the how the business has grown it's not been due to any great sales or marketing effort it was due to the fact that we got an opportunity to work with a customer did fantastic work with the project which we we're doing and got rewarded with project number 2 and 3 and so on right now in the year 2004 we set up the formal marketing department so so marketing in this company has only had about 16 years in existence we've always kind of said that the brand of the company was playing catch up to where the business of the company has always been. And, and in some way, we've covered that journey. In some places, we still need to do things. But if I could just leave two kind of facts which, which illustrate where this journey has gone with you. Just looking back at the last decade, in the year 2010, in terms of brand, our brand value was rated at about $2.3 billion. Over the last 10 years, in the rating which just came out a couple of months ago, That brand value now stands at $14.9 billion, which makes us one of the top three companies by brand value in this industry. So tremendous six-fold growth in just a decade. Even more importantly is on the brand awareness side, which was a specific challenge for us. And and here I must acknowledge the efforts uh, we've done in partnership with you and with ITSMA, who've been a partner for us in terms of research and benchmarking pretty much throughout this whole journey. So back in 2010, ITSMA had done this brand awareness survey for the industry which showed us something which we had to significantly improve. What it showed us was that our aided brand awareness amongst business executives, so when you ask business executive X somewhere in the world, have you heard of TCS? Only 33% of them said yes. Two-thirds said we don't even know who they are. No no clue. So that, where else, when you looked at the top of the food chain as the the industry leader in this industry, that aided brand awareness would have been about 92% or so. So there was a lot of ground to cover. And that's something which we've put in place fairly elaborate and a very uh, conscious plan over the last decade through a series of brand sponsorships, through strengthening our presence at major forums and events, partnerships, also a lot of engagement with with our customers, with our enterprise partners, so companies like SAP and Oracle and Salesforce and others. We've been doing a lot of work on the brand front. As a consequence of which, when ITSMA did the same survey for us just uh, about a year ago, the 2019 version, that aided brand awareness had gone from that 33% to 100%. So no room left for improvement on aided yeah. brand awareness. So, so it's 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 been a tremendous journey right in, in in short time.
1: I mean you work with the largest companies in the world with you know as you say across all sectors but how do you build a an understanding in this incredibly fluid time of how TCS can help and what your role is as a partner
0: yeah, I mean, that is the billion dollar question and there's no silver bullet to it. I think you keep experimenting and, and constantly evolving based on what you learn in, in fine-tuning your approach. Now, one of the changes which has taken place, um, Rob, in this industry is traditionally when you looked at technology from a bias point of view, it used to be fairly concentrated inside the chief uh, information officer or the chief technology officer's organization. So if you look at our business historically, A lot of our um, long-standing relationships and because of the fact that our primary buyer persona was the cio one of the big changes which has come about with digital transformation in which technology has become so strategic to every business right whatever business it is you you take a, a retail business everything is technology from its supply chain to merchandising to you know customer analytics you take an automotive business, cars today are, are, are modern computers with more than 100 million lines of code in, in, inside cars and digital twins of cars and whatever, and even very traditional industries. Um, I'll give you an example of a, a, a client of ours in the Netherlands called uh, Daman Shipyards. Now, Daman is a very old shipmaking business. They make small and medium-sized tugboats and ships, and they sell them. Very interestingly, uh, we, over the past few years, we've been working with them as their digital transformation partner in creating a very strong IoT network amongst all their uh, fleet, which means in putting a lot of sensors in, in, in these boats and then utilizing that data to do things like preventive maintenance or helping ships sort of uh, look at fuel efficiency and, and various other things. But what it's enabled for this customer, that historically they used to sell boats. You would sell the boat, you would charge money for it, and it was done. And you know at some time the boat would come back at scrap and you will sell another one. Today, they don't only sell the hardware, but they actually sell it as a service with an with a annual maintenance contract and optimization contract and other things and so forth. So the point I was making is, as a consequence of technology becoming so important in every sector, various different personas now have a stake in this. In fact, your own study, which you did on digital transformation, uh, indicated something really interesting. So I think the question which was put to uh, the executives was, who in your organization gets involved in digital transformation, right? Is it a board member? Is it a CEO? Is it a CMO? It's the COO. What was telling about it is no surprises. The top of the food chain there was the chief information officer with 99% of the company saying the CIO is of course involved in technology and in, in digital transformation. But the lowest rating was for the chief operating officer, which was not particularly low. It said 85, 84% of companies. And everything else was in the middle. The CMO came in at 92%. So, in ninety-two percent of companies, the CMO is getting involved in digital transformation, and you see that uh, as Gartner has shown today. CMOs spend more on technology than than many CIOs. So, what has that meant for our business is we've needed to cover a wider variety across the C-suite. So, we needed to strengthen our relationships with them. We needed to change our content and thought leadership, which you are talking about, to be more relevant to a wider variety. Uh, we needed to change our commercial and marketing strategy to involve. A different suite, and of course, our account-based marketing efforts became more complex because the, the the level of stakeholders and all which you needed to deal with, of course, has increased in complexity. In many places, the boardrooms have a role to play in digital transformation. So, you know, covering off board directors is important. Um, one of our new programs in in our second largest market in the UK is really focused towards that. is is generating relationships with board members and it's a two-way exchange. While while we're generating relationships, a lot of board members also want to know what's next in technology. They want to educate themselves on how is artificial intelligence evolving. They're very worried about data breaches. So you know how do you how do you secure the business in terms of cyber security and all of those things. So it is a great opportunity also for our business and our industry to engage at a level in client organizations where historically we may not have engaged.
1: Right. And I I know over the years, you've put a lot of energy and investment into partnerships like the World Economic Forum or places where executives gather so that you can, so it's easier to have some of those conversations. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the role that those kinds of partnerships and sponsorships play in building these relationships.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Rob. I think, um, let me just put it in context. Uh, You know, executive Engagement is one of the most vital pieces for us in, in terms of our marketing strategy. And, and I'll tell you why. If you look at us as a business, we have uh, a little north of about a thousand customers worldwide, right? And these are large companies. There's, it's, it's the Barclays, the Societe General, it's United Airlines. It's, you take any Fortune 1000 list, a good section of them are our customers. But when you take one level down and see inside these organizations, while I said, yes, the C-suite has grown in complexity, there are potentially five or six people in each one of these companies who have a massive role in terms of the buying decision. So if you multiply those numbers, there are potentially about 6,000 people, human beings in the world, who decide whether we make our $22 billion a year, right? do we double it to $44 billion and become the industry leader, or right. does it curtail and go down? Right. So that building trust, building relationships with these 6,000 people is absolutely vital in this business. You know, we've looked at multiple ways to do it. I think ultimately, if someone is rewarding you a multi-million-dollar digital transformation project, the most important factor is trust because they're pretty much betting their jobs on you getting the job done. And there are a whole range of great companies in our industry. Many of them can do the job. It's like the car industry, right? Um, Volkswagen's a great car. Mercedes is a great car. BMW is a great car. Um, it's just What's your personal choice and and what do you like and and who do you trust or who do you? So I think the trust factor is is really, really vital for us. And trust is built through familiarity. Familiarity is built through engagement. And that's why forums like the World Economic Forum in particular is very close to my heart because that's been one of the uh, relationships I've personally been driving for the company. We started our engagement with with the World Economic Forum in the year 2009. And it, it's been it's been very useful for us. There's a lot of things which we do at, with the forum. The most important one, of course, is Davos, which is the annual meeting at the start of the year in January. So every year, Davos, our, our senior leadership team, our chairman, our chief executive, our chief operating officer and all go to Davos. The most useful thing they do there is they, they run a very grueling schedule. It's not there is this impression of Davos being this place where you go and have fun and you have parties and you're enjoying yourself. Right. No, I can tell you. You wake up at five in the morning, you go to sleep at one in the night because of a very intense meeting schedule. So our, our leadership team over the over three, three and a half days does, does more than uh, 40 meetings at the CEO or at the chairperson level with key customers. Now, that's really important, Rob, because if we try to schedule these meetings, impossible. Uh, they'd probably be in, on a flight six months in the year, just managing the schedule and making those meetings. So it's a, it's a very intense sort of uh, atmosphere where you can meet right at the start of the year calibrate notes, understand what the sentiment is, and, and talk about business and, and priorities. It's also a great place to build your brand on executive engagement since Davos, every year you get 3,000 delegates, uh, half of whom are uh, the senior the most decision maker in any company, normally the chief executive. So if you are looking at building your brand at the very, very top of the pyramid, Davos is like shooting fish in a barrel. And it's a very tiny little town. So anything which you can do in terms of raising your brand, or holding in events, we do some events then partnership with MIT and then also with other partners like brand finance and others. So that's been really useful for us in terms of building our brand, in terms of engagement. But also with the forum, we work on many issues together. I'll give you one example. We had a running project with the World Economic Forum over the last four years on closing the skills gap. So one of the challenges in this industry is in terms of technology talent. The demand for technology talent is far outstripping the supply. If anything else, what the last year and the pandemic has done is with the acceleration on the digital side, it's made it even more acute Mm -hmm. because this technology talent is being demanded not just by the IT sector itself, but by every sector. So in order to address this shortfall, we created a consortium called Closing the Skill Gap with the World Economic Forum. And we brought on another set of 30 partners, uh, many other companies. Who together make a, made a pledge that we would retrain 10 million workers amongst us to upskill them in terms of their skills and especially on the technology side. Now, that project did extremely well. So, about 17 million people were retrained uh, thanks to that. And the work of that still goes on in terms of a new initiative that the forum is driving. So, that's one cause, I think. But the forum, what the forum does is it ends up being a platform in bringing people together businesses, government, civil society, academia, media around a cause, whether it's climate, whether it's quality and inclusion, whether it is skills. Historically, it's been conflict and poverty and other things. I think it's been a tremendous platform for finding a common area of uh, of interest and then working together in, in resolving those.
1: You know, one of the things that I think the last year has shown us is the even much greater demand on companies like TCS to really step up to some of those larger issues. And, and if, that's certainly not new for your company. I mean, TCS has been known for many years for taking a larger view of its kind of role in society. What has changed with that and, and over the past year or so? And you know, are there new opportunities, new challenges?
0: Rob, I think if we are to reflect on the last year or so, our sector, the technology sector, has had an immense role to play in this pandemic and and also has a future role to play um, in in coming out of this pandemic. If you look back at it, there are three or four areas where this sector has really made um, a contribution and needs to make a future contribution. First of all, it's been an anchor of stability in this period. You know, one of the things I, I often joke about, but it's true, is if we had this pandemic 20 years ago, we'd be sunk. The economy would be sunk. We wouldn't be able to operate. We wouldn't be able to do what we do, right? So whatever sector has been the case has been able to operate because of the backbone of technology. It's not been easy. I think this sector has taken the brunt of not just managing disruption for itself. At the onset of it, 450,000 of our colleagues had to manage the disruption and, and start working from home. But not only that, they had to ensure that none of, while we managed this disruption, none of our clients were disrupted many of our clients are essential services providers. they are banks, their are retail uh, groceries, there's there's hos- hospitals and healthcare, public services, electrical utilities, etc. And they all needed to keep operating to keep us operating through the pandemic. And so the role this sector has played in keeping everything going, it could have all gone wrong. But uh, the, the reason it's managed to operate wouldn't have been possible without Zoom and underlying collaboration technologies and, and other things. So the sector has played a you know, outsized role in that front. Now, as we look ahead, it has to play a role in, in two or three other places. The first priority, once we emerge from the pandemic, what's waiting for us is the need to create, recreate economic growth and recovery across the world. And the technology sector has done relatively well in, in the pandemic compared to the others. But as we emerge from this, it's also an area which is going to create a lot of future economic growth. If you look at just one example, The European Commission has done this study, which estimated that if Europe is to invest in disruptive new technologies, artificial intelligence, cloud, data, all of those, it can add an incremental 14% to its GDP by 2030. To put that in other terms, 14% is like adding an economy the size of France to the European GDP. That's a tremendous opportunity. and, and, And today it's more important than ever to take that opportunity. Businesses are investing in it. We took a survey last year of our customers, which indicated an interesting trend. So 90% of the businesses indicated that they had not cut down any spending. In fact, they had either kept it flat or increased their spending on digital technologies. The top four technologies which which people have been investing on, no surprises, are collaborative technologies, cybersecurity, uh, data analytics, and cloud. And that's all continuing. So so there is a role for the sector to play in, in reviving growth. Jobs are hugely important at the height of the pandemic. The ILO estimated that we had lost an, equi- uh, an equivalent of about 400 million jobs last year. Uh, some of it has been recovered since, but there is still a long way to go. This sector has a role to play in job creations. And, and the point I made earlier about demand outstripping supply puts it in a good place to do so. The last point I'll make, Rob, on this is the role which the sector needs to play is, you know, one of the things which is human nature to do is, you, you get over a crisis, you get back to normal, you forget about it and, and you go about your business. I think it's absolutely essential that's what we not do. Once we're out of this pandemic, it's really important to draw the lessons from this. And um, one of the lessons from this is going to be, how do we plan for future disruptions? Unfortunately, this may not be the last pandemic. So whatever we've learned about being able to operate remotely and making businesses operate through digital channels, it becomes important to build that into a sense, resiliency in, in the business models of, uh, of of all these businesses. And I think the sector has a role to play in in that sense, strengthening many of our customers' businesses so that if they can meet future disruptions with greater ease and lesser risk.
1: Thank you, and, and it makes an enormous amount of sense. As you say, the technology sector has done relatively well. And so there's a straight business case for continuing to invest in the kinds of technologies and initiatives and and relationships just for the sake of the business. But there is also this larger sense of responsibility that I think has grown. Does that affect the kinds of relationships with clients? I mean, do we need to work differently with our clients in this, you know, more disrupted, more (laughs) disruptive environment as as we look ahead.
0: When we get back out of this, we're not gonna go back to exactly how things were before the pandemic, right? There'll be many changes. You might find entire industries and and companies have changed. A lot of other changes also have taken place. I mean, we're in the middle of a a great era of change, Rob. I think, you know, I'll I'll give you two facts of things which happened last year, which went by unnoticed because we were busy with the pandemic. First of all, um, on the economic shift side, last year was the first year in which the overall economic size of Asia has now become a majority of the world. So this eastward shift now attained that critical mass. Interestingly, on another front, the same, same milestone was passed on social media. So last year in 2020, more than 50% of the world's population, 3.8 billion people are now active on social media right? This is the first time in human history that half the world is connected in such a way. So there are profound changes which are taking place. On the business front, what you were talking about, there is a lot of pressure on businesses which was not there in the past from a variety of different stakeholders, from employees, from civil society, from governments, for businesses to play a a role on many societal issues. For us, uh, we've always operated with this ethos that businesses exist for doing well for society and the communities which we work in, right? In fact, it's it's imbibed in, in, in our ownership model. So two-thirds of uh, the Tata Group's holding company, Tata Sons, is actually owned by Charitable trusts, which reinvests the profits which the group makes back into societal projects, whether it's healthcare, it's education, it's arts, sports, whatever it is. From, from over 100 years, uh, this has been part of our identity. But if you look at it on a broader basis, there is this push towards what's been called stakeholder capitalism in which businesses have a larger role to play in society on every kind of issue. And I think the the Rubicon has been crossed on that. Every business will either need to be a more ethical business or they will find they come under a lot of stakeholder pressure. More than that, I think a a lot of change is being driven by, as I said earlier, right? Um, While we talk about personas, CEOs and other things, end of the day, a lot of these people, they're all human beings. And, and a lot of CEOs and leaders today are also driving change because they passionately feel about these issues. We, we do see that. Uh, it's also become important for us. While we've been doing this, we talk a lot more about it. In fact, recently, we came out with a new brand statement. Over the last two decades, the tagline for TCS has been these two words, experience certainty which stood for our ability to deliver certainty to our customers, certainty that any project we take on would be done on time, would be done great quality and wouldn't fail. That's what this company stood for. That's what's made us grow. That's what when we did one project, well, we got assigned the next project. We've taken on a new positioning statement. It's called building on belief, which recognizes the fact that anything good which has happened in the world, right? Whether it's uh, the formation of a new business, Or it's, I don't know, Rob, you waking up tomorrow and saying, Listen, I want to run the Boston marathon. The first starting point for anything is belief. I have a purpose. I've figured out this is the purpose I have as an individual or as a business. And then the next step is I have the belief that yes, I can do it. After that, yes, you need to execute. You need the right partners, you need technology, you need the will, you need talent, everything and and to make it happen. We've taken on this statement to um, reflect that. We've, we've launched a new brand purpose for ourselves. And I think in a lot of our engagement with our customers, we'll be talking, of course, while we provide technology, we'll also be having conversations with them on how is this technology helping enable their core purpose as a business.
1: Yeah, that's great. And and actually, Abhinav, I know you're passionate about storytelling as well and, and kind of narrative. And I'm curious Around that new tagline, what is the bigger story that you're now trying to tell your employees, your partners, your clients, the market?
0: Yeah, I mean, storytelling is the essential skill of any marketer, right? It's also one of the oldest human skills. We've been telling stories from the time of hunting gathering. The way we kept civilization and knowledge going was by assembling around a fire in the night and sharing stories and gossip and and thoughts and, and, and that forged civilization. That hasn't changed today. I think it's one of the core things that any marketer needs to recognize is your tools have changed, right? We have a lot of tools at our disposal. We have a lot of rich capability in terms of creativity and other places. So our tools may have changed, but the essence of storytelling is still the same. As an example of how why storytelling is important is, Rob, I'll take you back to the last big conference you attended. If you think about it and you think of maybe 10 or 12 speakers you heard at that conference, while you were at the conference, you heard them all and you were interested. But if you think about them today, you'll struggle to remember what nine or 10 of them said, right? Right. But you will remember what maybe the the, the 12th one said, which was they just told a simple story which stuck with you and which resonated, right? And and I think uh, that's really important because good stories help make things memorable and you remember them. The mark of a great story is that not only do you hear it and remember it, but you want to tell it to your family and your friends. So with that standard in mind, you know, I'm, I'm not at all prescriptive with my teams or with our company on, on this is the way you, you tell stories, right? I think each individual is different and, and what you do it, but we do encourage everyone, whether it's our partners in the sales organizations, our, our partners in human resources and other things that it's, it's really important to codify your stories and record your history, learn it, and then become better communicators and communicate it better. And, and I think that's vitally important. In, in inspiring and engaging people.
1: There, there is a, a TCS story that you're trying to tell at the higher <laughs> level. What, what is that next story?
0: One of the things which is really important for us and we've put in a lot of effort over the past few years is to tell our story through the change we have created for our customers. Last year, our, our team in Europe won the Gartner Communication Award for our uh, video storytelling campaign which we ran with our customers. So we've done about 20 plus video stories jointly with customers, featuring them and the digital transformation change which they've looked to make and what it's meant for their business. For example, we've been working for the past few years with RunStart, the human resources services company on implementing the largest public cloud implementation in the world. Mm -hmm. So so what RunStart does is as a business, it essentially helps 2 million people get jobs every year. And uh, like any large corporation, one of the challenges they had was that uh, they operate in 38 countries and they had, I think, 4,000 offices in these 38 countries. And each office literally had their own data center. They had 50 data centers all over the world. So they had a whole lot of candidate information lying in different parts of the world. In partnership with us, they, they, we put uh, forward this vision of creating a single public cloud instance on Amazon Web Services, which brought all of their applications and their data together in, in one place. It took 18 months to do this, which was a really fast exercise, but what it's done is it's given them now a capability to look at anything globally. So one, once they've got all their data together, they can run a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning and come, come out with a lot of insight, but it also helps create better outcomes because now let's say somebody sitting in their office in Argentina has access to a global database. So they can help a candidate who they're working with, perhaps find better find a job in South Africa or somewhere else because they have access to that data. So we have a whole lot of things like this. You know, we work with different kinds of businesses. We've done with, with Carnival Cruises, KLM, with Virgin Atlantic, you name it. And I think telling our story of being a partner to our customers in, in creating a change which has helped them become stronger as a business is what we've been really focused on.
1: You know, to your point about sharing stories, that's the most powerful, right? Is, is, so for the CEOs at uh, Ronstadt or Carnival, what, what, what's the story you want them to tell Their colleagues about TCS?
0: So, I mean, if you look at these, typically it's the chief executive or the chief information officer or someone in the suite who's part of these video stories. So, if you look at this as a Hollywood production, the client is the hero. But, you know, we do have a role to play in this as the best supporting actor. (laughs) And in that sense, if you look at it, of course, the most important thing is that their businesses are successful. And we talk about that change. But when they talk about us, there's a pattern of what emerges. Usually they say, you know, we've had TCS as a partner with us for 15 years, for 20 years, for 25 years, right? A lot of these partnerships are very long-standing, And throughout these years, we've built a position of trust. Whenever we have a challenge or an issue, TCS is the company we go to, our trusted advisor per se. What they say is what we really appreciate and value about TCS is two or three things. Firstly, it's the knowledge which they bring to the table. Knowledge of us as a business, because we've worked together a long time. We call it contextual knowledge knowledge of our sector and industry, because they have so many um, clients and, and, and a large set of uh, talented employees in that field. Also, this whole element of that experience, certainly, which I was talking about, is that whenever TCS makes a promise that we'll do something, it gets done. It, it, it just gets done. It's a, the whole company is organized towards that. If somebody in the company has made a promise to a customer, we'll move hell and high water to make that work. And that's something customers respect so i was talking about carnival cruises as one of our video stories one of the things that that customer talks about is we remember that instant when hurricane irma hit miami and our business was completely disruptive uh, a couple of years ago we said one of the outstanding teams in this was tcs which put up a team 24 by 7 and supported us at this time of need he says as long as i work here i'm never going to forget what tcs did for us that's just so gratifying to hear but behind that is the hard work and sweat and efforts and dedication of my colleagues on the operation side, whom whom I couldn't be prouder of. And it's that spirit which has taken us through this pandemic as well.
1: Fantastic, Abhinav. I know we're we're about out of time. I'm so thankful for for this conversation. I, if you've got thirty more seconds, I'm wondering, uh, it's kind of an unfair question, but if you had to summarize a couple of lessons that you've learned through this whole journey in terms of building those trusted relationships with clients, uh, can, can you do that?
0: You know, I think, um, like I said, the most important thing is to build trust, right? Trust is built by familiarity, but it's also built by your behavior, right? You've got to turn up. You've got to do what you say, what you're going to do. You've got to be honest with your customers. That's vitally important. Uh, even when there's a challenge or there's an issue, it's really important to be straight up and, and honest about it. Like I said, we have many customers who've been working with for 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. And long-standing relationships are like marriages. They're ups and downs at periods of point of time, right? But because there is this trust and common shared purpose, you get through those periods of challenge by doing better. So I think that trust is vital relationships are so important rob i mean there's so many instances where we build powerful relationships with a certain uh, customer and when that person has moved into a new organization when we even may have never worked with that new organization in the past they open up the doors to us simply because of the equity and and the trust we enjoy with them third thing i'd say is what's really important is your own teams and your own culture as a business The most important, I I say this and I mean it and and I practice it in my life. I think the most important decision any leader makes is who do they choose to get on their team, right? It's the talent selection. And after getting in the best talent you can, creating a culture which enables that talent to perform and do what they need to do. If you ask any of our uh, client partners, our client partners are the people who manage a particular account. They've always over the years felt really empowered to do anything they want to, which is in support of a client. So one of the things we often hear from our customers is one thing which differentiates you as a company is the moment, let's say something changes, right? We're The first things many other companies bring to the table is they're like, okay, you're changing some things. Let's create a new contract and let's bring the lawyers to the table and negotiate. He said, with you, it's first, okay, let's get the job done. Let's do what's good for you. Let's do that. And all the administrative and other things we'll figure out later, or, or it doesn't even matter right? We'll, we'll sort it out. And mm-hmm. our person on the ground is empowered to take those calls. That's vital for any business which wants to succeed. You get the best people, you create a culture where they can perform, and you you give them the trust and empowerment to perform. That's simple formula. Uh, sounds easier to do then, than it is.
1: Right. Not always easy to execute. Abhinav, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed this.
0: Wish you the best for the rest of the year. Stay, stay safe, take care, and, and my best to all colleagues at uh, IDS
1: thanks for listening. Let us know what you think about today's conversation and any suggestions about other guests or topics for future podcast conversations. Check out other episodes of C-Suite Marketing on ITSMA.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks again to our sponsor, Boardroom Insiders. Have a great day.